Anarchism is not bombs, disorder, or chaos. It is not robbery or murder. It is not a war of each against all. Anarchism is the very opposite of all that. Find out for yourself. Tune into Subversion One Three One Two. Live Tuesdays nine to ten p.m. on Four Triple Z One Hundred Two Point One FM or streaming Four Triple Z dot org dot au. Podcasts and related content available at Subversion One Three One Two dot org and ChannelZeroNetwork.com. Conclusion: We stand for anarchy, anti-capitalism, anti-racism, anti-authoritarianism, internationalism, autonomy, direct democracy, ecology, self-organization, solidarity, anti-fascism, anti-neoliberalism, anti-nationalism, atheism, equality, and freedom. Good evening. Welcome to Subversion One Three One Two. You are indeed on Four Triple Z One Hundred Two Point One FM. Thank you to Lindsay for the New Zealand show. There's a packed show coming up tonight. I'm very pleased to be able to do this tonight. We're going to hear some excerpts from Beirut's Bouchani's book, "No Friend But the Mountains." I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was reading it and basically couldn't put it down during this time. Also, I've been chatting with the radio producer Roz Elliott, who embarked on a mission to transfer segments of the book onto radio. With the permission of the author, she recorded Leo Gotts reading some of the segments from the book. Having read the book fast because I, I wanted to absorb the whole story, hearing these readings was a totally different experience, and actually for me much much more harrowing. So thanks very much, Roz, for taking on this project. Right now you can hear it for yourself. The book starting out with Beirut leaving Indonesia by boat, a small boat embarking on a journey. Over a huge sea. No friend but the mountain. Writing from Manus Prison, Beirut, Bouchani. Two trucks carry scared and restless passengers down a winding rocky labyrinth. Black cloth is wrapped around the vehicles, so we all can only see the stars above. For six hours, I have sat without moving, leaning my back against the wooden wall of the truck. Three months of wandering, hungry, and Indonesia have driven us to this misery. But at least we are leaving on this road through the jungle, a road that will reach the ocean. For three months in Jakarta, I would regularly hear news of boats that had sunk. But one always thinks that such a fatal incident only befalls others. It's hard to believe you may face death. The truck slows. It seems we have reached the end of the jungle and arrived at the shore. The smuggler begins waving his hands fervently. Everyone must keep silent. The vehicle stops. Silence. Silence. At this point, I have endured forty days of near starvation in the basement of a tiny hotel. The town was now so highly policed I had to hide. My money ran out and hunger was taking a toll on my body and soul. I woke early and devoured a piece of toast. A slice of cheese and a cup of tea with lots of sugar. It got me through each day. The police that patrolled the city left no stone unturned in pursuit of us. I couldn't relax for a second. They were throwing everyone they caught into prison and then deporting them after a few days. Even contemplating the scenario is painful. Having to return to the point from which I started would be a death sentence. My life during these last three months has been mainly fear, stress, starvation, and displacement. Now on the truck, everyone must be silent. One of the child's screams could take us back to our journey's beginning. Finally, the smuggler ordered us to step out. We have arrived at the ocean. The insane waves move back and forth along the beach. They seem eternal. A tiny boat sits a few meters out from the shore. No time to delay. We have to board. We are on our way to Australia. Mountains of waves rise and fall. There's a hole in the boat. And the water pump has failed. There's nothing we can do. The water is filling up the engine room. 
it's half full. While the families and others sleep, three of us bail water with a single crew member. The water reaches his ribs. He dives under the half-filled cabin with a stick and rags to try and plug the hole. The rotten boat is close to capsizing in the giant waves. They pound the bow rhythmically, more severe than before. The front tip of the boat ruptures and water bursts out from under the family members still laying entangled. The rag in the hole succumbs to the pressure of the waves and the water rises in the cabin again. This whole mess, in the darkness of midnight, looks like death, smells like death, embodies death. The cries, the screams, the swearing, the knocking about, the sounds of small children, the heart-wrenching and painful sounds of the little children. These sounds transform the chaotic boat into hell. Then, in the depth of darkness, on the verge of losing all hope, one still maintains a glimmer of hope. Deep down inside, a tiny light, about the size of a speck, like a distant star, is spotted on the horizon this dark night. In the commotion people weep aloud, and in private. In this terrible, fearful moment, I light a cigarette. I have accepted death, yet immediately fear reasserts itself. Feelings of futility and absurdity and an overbearing terror begin to fuse in astonishing ways. It is a unique experience. I accept death, and while engulfed in this maelstrom of noise and oppressive anxieties, I drown in the vortex of sleep. Help! I wake in panic. I can see daylight. The cabin is full of terrified people. They are screaming, deafeningly, screaming for help. There is a ship standing only a few metres in the distance. A motorboat travels back and forth between our boat and that ship. The women and children are rescued first. Then the masculine competition to be next begins. Now only five men left to be rescued, and as the motorboat pulls alongside our damaged boat, it flips sideways. I'm standing on the roof when it occurs. We have come so close to capsizing over the last two days, and now it's happened. The boat is gone completely in less than a few seconds. I'm in the water, into the darkness of the ocean, accompanied by its carcass. I'm being dragged down by the boat. I'm out of breath. Still, I swim for the surface. A wave smashes over me. Down I go again. My inside's full of water. I surface again and am inspired by the sight of a group of men wrapped around a makeshift raft. I swim towards them. I get closer, but new waves plunge them underwater. The motorboat is coming to rescue us. It circles around us. Then some hands reach out to save me. I feel like a small animal caught in the talons of a skilled hunter. Moments later, they have my bony, wounded body over the side. The ocean has performed its sacrifice. That river, this sea, the meeting of both at this juncture. One of our party is dead. Just want you to be aware about what all the rats have done to me. Liberal label lying to you. I'm not terrorist, I'm not perilous. But they have put my youth in the horrible cage for cheating, money, running their bloody policy. So want you to get your shit together and sort out this mess. Or you always be known as a serious excess. Help us keep our sanity, remember our humanity. I am, you are, we are all the same. Help us keep our sanity, remember our humanity. I am, you are, we are all the same. Do you know if you don't put pressure on them, they will abandon me in limbo. No worries when 
Tonight's show, we're hearing excerpts which have been read from Berusby Chinese book No Friend But the Mountain. Just then, you heard a song which came out of Manus. That song is called All the Same by Moz. And last week we mentioned there are many talented people on Manus and art, poetry, cartoons, writing. Music, all sorts of artistic endeavors have emerged from behind the razor-wire fence over there. As well, of course, there's people talented in many other things as well. We're going to hear the second segment of the readings now. Rescued, relocated, a second smuggler's boat, another journey from Indonesia, another trial, a test of the will, unsure we will reach safety, purgatory. My second boat is found by an English merchant navy ship, piled high with containers, sailors taking photos of the exhausted people on the little boat, and all asylum seekers are taken on board. Men are sitting all over the deck of the ship, each carrying their unknown past, each one a survivor of the perilous journey, each now a part of this gathering, all brought to this place by a single goal, the aim of arriving in the land known as Australia. We anticipate the arrival of the Australian Navy. Hours passed, sitting there under that scorching sun on the deck, waiting under that merciless sun, waiting in sweet anticipation waiting as we scent the fragrance of freedom. Things never happen the way you think they will. As everyone focuses on the distant horizon, a large ship appears behind us. We turn around. The Australian flag waves at the highest point of the ship, waving freely in the wind, with a pomp all its own. No one dares to indicate their happiness while under the nose of the stern-faced military. Perhaps the idea of expressing their joy creates fear in their hearts and minds. The Australian military could very well be adverse to it and return them to Indonesia. Perhaps no one is sure that the deck of that warship is Australian territory. No one believes they have really arrived in the land of freedom. As I look at the devastated faces of my fellow asylum seekers, the virtue that comes to mind more than anything else is courage. These people have one thing in common. They have conquered the waves and completed an arduous journey. They have endured a whole week of crushing hardship. They have suffered perils to match the most formidable terrors. Is courage the opposite of fear, or is courage a virtue that emerges out of the essence of fear? This experience evokes courage in me. It enables me to contemplate the very concept of courage. For the second time in my life, that ocean has tested me. It tested my courage in the most intimate way possible. I have been tested within the labyrinth of death. Most of the people sitting on the deck of the warship have travelled on an ocean for the first time. For someone who has mustered the courage to board one of those boats headed in the direction of Australia, there is no way to return, no way at all. 
Getting on one of those boats is an extraordinary risk, a massive danger, truly a battle against death. Before boarding, these people didn't have the slightest impression of the extreme danger that awaited them on the journey. But for me and a few others, it was different. We had almost drowned once before, and two weeks later we resumed the war with the ocean by boarding another boat. I confess that the second time I went on board, my legs trembled. An unyielding nausea festered in my guts. A harrowing anxiety took over me. I threw myself over to the grip of the ocean. This I know. Courage has an even more profound connection with hopelessness. The more hopeless a human being, the more zealous the human is to pursue increasingly dangerous exploits. I am Farhad Pandesh. I am a musician, writer and artist. 4ZZZ and Subversion 1312 have helped me tell my story of being a Kurdish refugee in detention on Manus Island. Yes. 
with some rhetoric and claim that we all equal. Really doesn't manifest the more and more people living under mad oppression. Can't hell deny their request in jail. All because they dread their living hell. speaking from Manus Prison. You are listening to Subversion 1312 and 4ZZZ. A cage, high walls, wire fencing, electronic doors, CCTV cameras, surveillance cameras gazing at 20 individuals, men wearing oversized garments, men with loose-fitting garments hanging off them. Guards come in like tax collectors at 6am and heave us from our bed. Within minutes we are confined in a tight cage. It is hard to be imprisoned, to be locked in a cage. We have been in prison on Christmas Island for two whole months. It is hard being a prisoner. The plan is to exile all of us to Manus Island on a single flight. This difficult period drags on. Eventually a change comes. Our number is called. We are no longer known by a name, only a number. We are all searched minutely over and within our body. I can't believe what is happening to me. All that hardship. All that wandering from place to place. All that starvation I have endured. All of it so that I could arrive on Australian soil. I cannot believe I am now being exiled to Manus, a tiny island in the middle of the ocean. Being exiled to Manus is like a club that has been raised above my head for a whole month and is ready to bash down on me. Living with the dread of this looming club is like torture. Sometimes one thinks what reason could there possibly be for a person to have to endure extreme suffering. What reason could there possibly be for a person to endure extreme affliction? Why did I have to be so unlucky? Why did I have to arrive in Australia exactly four days after they effected this merciless law? Exile from Christmas Island. Exile from Australia. The airport marks the point of exile. The airport is completely empty. The airport is totally quiet. They call my number to board. MEG45. Slowly but surely, I must get used to that number. From their perspective, we are nothing more than numbers. I will have to forget my name. My mind can't fathom life on Manus Island in any way whatsoever. I came to Australia and suddenly ended up on a remote island. Ended up on an island the name of which I have never heard before. Clearly they are taking us hostage. We are hostages. We are being made an example to strike fear into others to scare people so they won't come to Australia. Manus Prison is like an enormous cage deep in the heart of the jungle. The prison is like a grand cage next to the tiny gulf of water, a body of water that merges with the ocean. The tall coconut trees on the outskirts of the camp have grown naturally in rows, but unlike us, they are free. Their grand height allows them to peep into the camp at all times, to know what is going on in the camp, to see what is happening to witness the anguish suffered by the people in the camp. One month has passed since I was exiled to Manus. I am a piece of meat thrown into an unknown land, a prison of filth and heat. Every week one or two planes land in the island's wreck of an airport and throngs of people disembark. Hours later they are tossed into the prison amongst the deafening ruckus of displaced people, like sheep in a slaughterhouse. With the arrival of newcomers the prison reaches peak tension, they are mainly taken to Fox Prison because it's larger and the tents for newcomers can be assembled in that corner. There is Delta and Oscar Prison too. It's like a huge cage, like a hive full of bees. There is not the slightest room to move within these two adjacent prisons. The prisons are a confrontation of bodies, a confrontation of human flesh. In Fox Prison, nearly 400 men are kept in an area smaller than a soccer field. 
Room swapping begins after a few months. Prisoners are drawn to their compatriots and those with whom they share a common language. Slowly the significance of a shared boat experience gives way to the importance of shared language. The developments over the months slowly but surely prove to everyone that the principle of the chiriarchal system, a system of interconnecting social systems established for the purpose of domination, oppression and submission, governing the prison is to turn prisoners against each other and to ingrain hatred between people. Prison maintains its power over time. The power to make people cue, fenced enclosures dominate and can pacify even the most violent persons. Those imprisoned on Manus are themselves sacrificial subjects of violence. We are a bunch of ordinary humans, locked up simply for seeking refuge. We are 400 people, 400 lost souls in a tightly confined space, 400 prisoners, anticipating the nights so we can leave and enter our nightmares. Imagine a community of 400 people, neglected in a boiling hot and filthy cage, still traumatised by the terrifying sound of waves ringing in their ears and the sight of a rotting boat fixed in their eyes. For how long can they simply talk to each other? How many times can they walk up and down the same 100 metre distance? An unwritten law of the system is all belongings are confiscated. It is all extremely distressing. It drives you to the edge of insanity. I have reached an understanding. The only people who can overcome and survive all the suffering inflicted by this prison are those who exercise creativity. That is, those who can trace the outlines of hope using melodic hummings and visions from beyond the prison fence and the beehive that we live in. The amazement and sorrow felt during the nights on Manus has the power to thrust everyone back into their long-distant past. The nights uncover many years of tears deep in our hearts and open old wounds. They plough into every dimension of our existence. They draw out bitter truths. Prisoners are driven to crying tears of bitter sorrow. The chiriarchal system of the prison is set up to produce suffering. You're listening to Subversion 1312 on 4 Z, and we're listening to excerpts read from a book called No Friend But the Mountains, which was written by Behrouz Bouchani, who is currently held prisoner, held hostage on Manus Island in the Manus prison, and he sent us uh, a little... Voice ID, you would have heard before I played that track. I'm going to play a song now from the United Struggle Project, and it's called Life is War. When you go easy, give body, look at sin, Chris Black, fanaticing of music, uh, look up a Moyana Big Sum, Red City, for Moyana DJ Paru. I just travel for the jack record, ready to let you know more about life. Uh. Corruption, this 
discrimination Congo is our nation Let's go innovation Like education Without opposition This is consolation His obligation Congo is our mother Again our father Yeah Uh-huh Life is the war Life Life is the war What can you like this? People deep with our peace Full of stress Life is the easy Saved by the easy Don't worry We shall get a good life As we If we deal With a good life Yeah The motherfucker people Take more than away Then I decide To run away Because they can't Turn my future away Yeah So I believe This is Anna from Ipswich 161 supporting Triple Z and Subversion 1312 Radio in particular. Um, support local radio, support independent radio and independent media, support those who support you. In addition to the prisoners bustling between the fences and in the hallways, other men also prowl the prison. Parts of the prison are under the surveillance of a group known as G4S. From the very first day, their work is valorised. You're an army here to protect the nation. These imprisoned refugees are the enemy. My God, you should see the look in their eyes. Cold, hateful. During each shift, the number of G4S guards on duty in each prison climbs to 50. Like robots following orders, they enforce every prison rules. Rules for both micro-control and macro-control. Besides the Australian and New Zealand guards are also locals, or men from Port Moresby. An agreement between Australia and PNG governments stipulated that a large percentage of local people must be employed. Therefore, the prison is forced to employ people who until then were the freest humans I have encountered. But now they are absorbed in the chiriarchal system, absorbed into the prison structure and the culture of systemic violence. Fox Prison has six main corridors. Each one of these consists of the following. Two open entry points, 12 small rooms, approximately one and a half metres by one half metres, fly screen windows, four imprisoned individuals in bunk beds, forced to adapt to each other's sweaty bodies and the elimination of personal space, 12 rusted fans facing the same direction, 48 individuals, 48 beds, 48 foul-smelling mouths, 48 half-naked sweaty bodies, frightened, arguing. The atmosphere is suffocating. A few metres over is the toilet complex, a complex of ten small rooms, many without doors as they have rotted away. It is a region of humidity and cultivation, a lab for algae. The whole lot has turned green. The floor is always in the same state, piss up to the ankle. The toilets are so filthy. It smells like sludge because the cement floor is full of potholes and the soil under is moist. The smell of putrid soil mixed with the stench of prisoners' breaths and mixed with the stench of the open sewage trough that passes alongside the room. The shower tap is a hole in the wall. You see, the toilets and shower are in the same little room. Down low... The drain for the showers is actually a grimy canal, flowing with the filth from the neighbouring showers. 
the generator that supplies all of the electricity for lighting, water and fans often fails. The generator manipulates our minds to such an extent that it has morphed into some kind of agent. It has developed human motivations. Its irregular functioning is a reality. So much so that during the day and nights it switches off a number of times. Sometimes it functions continuously for a whole week without a hitch. Then right on the day that the prisoners think the generator has been repaired or replaced, it suddenly turns off again. On days when the problem with water and electricity extend for longer than usual, the bathroom becomes useless. Within the first hour, all the cubicles fill up with empty water bottles and the toilet bowls flood with human waste. The prisoners can no longer use the toilets. They have to find somewhere else to go. The men must go behind the water tanks or the open sewage drain. The stench builds up so that we are ashamed to be a part of the human species. Days in the prison begin with the commotion of long queues, long pulverising queues. Hungry prisoners rush out of their sweaty, sticky beds in the morning and like bees they swarm the tent that makes up the dining area. In this instance, hungry usually means starving. Once evening dinner is over, no one can find anything to eat until morning. No one is allowed to take any food from the dining area for later. At the front of the dining area always stand a few grim G4S guards. If a pocket is bulging, then the Papuan guards are told to frisk the prisoner. If something is found, it is put into the bin. The Australian G4S guard reminds the prisoner again, taking food is against the rules. Young men stand in the sun for hours queuing for dirty, poor quality food. The meat is like pieces of a car tyre. The prisoners are aware that at the start of the queue in front of the tent, a few G4S guys sit on their chairs and order groups of five to enter the dining territory. The prisoners are aware that at the start of the queue, in the front of the tent, a few G4S guys sit on chairs and order groups of five to enter the dining area. The Manus prison logic is about domination. Domination. Five people need to leave the dining area so that five can take their place. We are like puppets on a string, put into motion with the flick of a finger of the G4S guard. Throughout the line, a few G4S guards supervise. They do nothing but stare at the queue moulded against the wall. The purpose of their presence is simple, to announce that the queue has a master. Breakfast more than any other meal is a twisted game. A few officers sit on chairs. After they tick off our numbers, they direct us to a vast array of trays and chefs fitted out like professionals. When we reach them, we realise nothing is provided, nothing to eat. The trays are licked clean. A recipe for torment, long nights of starvation hungry stomachs, empty guts and the multifaceted twisted interactions with the cooks who serve milk by precise measurements. It is impossible to find a prisoner who has not struggled to unriddle the complexities of the queuing system and the food situation to which it leads, trying to understand the conditions of microcontrol and macrocontrol, trying to understand the perpetual flux of everything, trying to avoid tipping over the edge, trying to avoid tipping into insanity. You're tuned to the 4ZZZ Anarchy Show on 102.1 FM or streaming on 4ZZZFM.org.au. In a democracy, the ignorant and meddlesome outsiders, the general population have to be kept from interfering. They can be spectators but not participants. Spectators but not participants. Spectators but not participants.
my doctor and the son of Vietnamese refugees fleeing their enemies, seeing their apprentices. Things are different to the original agreement of my mouth and phrase in the 80s and the 70s. Stupid lawyers who attract the vote, Douglas Alvin gave patience when they swear upon the Hippocratic Oath. Even Robert Polo wearing country cover, Timmy Douglas got it to the jabs, so the gag order has to go. Better prosecution hanging over them on the mainland, it's opposite. If we don't do it, they should have bought a point away in trouble. Why the different standards for the different children? 1984, here we go again. Locked up a definite, they're incredibly confused. Women and the children with them, so the two are ready to use a toilet where they were sexually abused. That's aggressive on the news, so we get to see the truth. Asking, should we work in a system inspired of laws to help the most vulnerable? Or does it make us undercover to the government that's so corrupt and a system so culpable? They stand in the help, pretending to help. Send us off the people smugglers, but apparently they pay without taxes. Turn it both back, cause that is the end in itself. Delegating obligation to a foreign neighbor, giving money to corrupt politicians as a right. Security for private contractors who are barely qualified, some are beating up the prisoners inside. Drink to the job, feel threatened, the treat is uncomfortable, so you should have missed the judge. Stopping out the treatment of a broken arm, health that rest of a running diet, though it's under out here. In the country, put our savings into trips and vessels like the Indonesian not party to refugee convention. Can I work and study stuck there for a decade? That is why they come in. That reason you can't forget it. You don't want to sink in, but other waters do you show an interest in the jurisdiction? Also, they're sick of still. What about the people missing limbs where they're living in? Push it back to their city to get the whip again. Out of sight, out of mind, that is nonsense. For toddlers, not us. Honor, carbon, and promise. Regardless, busters are heartless. Forgot how it started from a beggar where to pardon. Rebellion happening, sending time of refugees on the seas, home where they're gonna be arrested. Not even saving this money. Every year, asylum policy cost a billion dollars reinvested. Turn Kevin Boat refugees against each other when the convention does not discriminate. Visa overstay is outnumber better. Robbers tell me where that argument is not given weight. Said the economic immigrants are maybe. Said there might be terrorists more than maybe. But you wouldn't know without the process that you're not intent with genuine until the stolen yet lately. You will start gold. Offer our solution to the other countries who will borrow. If they choose to follow, then you're having many countries playing hard potato with their hangers like the million human cargo. Think I've got the bad. What about Pakistan and Jordan? We're part of a bigger picture. Tell me, is it not a the job? But what in history will treat us poorly? We should be ashamed. I've been knowing where the kids behind the bars are calling. The hierarchical system can be summed up in one way. First, a condition of dependency is established, then the dependency is framed in the context of microcontrol and macrocontrol governmentality. Eating is a necessity, and prisoners have no choice but to hustle to meet this basic need. And this is the point. This is the tactic used to keep them in captivity, like being caught in a spider's web. The more you struggle, the more entangled you become. Starvation has two objectives, to implement a variety of control mechanisms on the minds of the prisoners and to make the prisoners enmeshed and complicit in the system. The hierarchical system presents a blueprint to the prisoner. Just submit to the power of the micro and macro rules and regulations. Based on mysterious logic, new rules and regulations are imposed every week for the cigarette queue, unfathomable like the situation in the dining area and the telephone queues driving everyone insane. The cigarette queue has its own complexities. In the beginning, they sell loose smokes on the hour every three days, then every two days, then every day. And on every one of these days, the time for distribution of cigarettes fluctuates. The phone queue. The rules and regulations change weekly. Sometimes all the numbers of prisoners able to use the phones are recorded on perplexing schedules. Myself, MEG45, can make a call on Thursday morning at 10 past 11. That changes. Sometimes it depends on who is in the queue first. Using the telephone is the time when the prisoner gets to be outside the prison for some minutes. His joy can't be contained afterwards. He waves and sings at the top of his voice. So extremely serious. So restrictive. The officers are unbelievably strict when implementing the rules and regulations pertaining to phone calls. The situation became the cause of suffering. Mm-hmm. 
land of the free and fair go and democracy. But they're all in for a big surprise. Detention without trial. told i am a child of war yes i was born during the war under the thunder of warplanes alongside tanks in the face of bombs breathing gunpowder amongst dead bodies inside silent cemeteries these were the days when war was a part of our everyday lives and ran like blood through our identity a meaningless war a pointless war absurd a war with ridiculous objectives like all wars through history, a war that devastated our families and sizzled and incinerated all our vivid green and bounteous homeland. Where have I come from? From the land of rivers, the land of waterfalls, the land of ancient chants, the land of mountains, out of a small village that stood in the middle of a forest of old chestnut oaks. The war elephants from the neighbouring lands had decided to wage battle for many years inside our vibrant and luscious plantation. Their heavy legs and bulging bellies rampaged. Every place was crushed underneath them. That war wasn't our war. That violence wasn't our violence. War was uninvited. A calamity from the heavens, just like famine. Just like an earthquake... My mother always sighed and would say, My boy, you came into this world in a time we called the flee and fight years. This phrase was commonplace. A time when people would run to the mountains from fear of the warplanes. Everything they had and could carry they took with them. They found asylum within chestnut oak forests. Do the Kurds have any friends other than the mountains? Right there, Right by the fence, a mango tree with the most magnificent trunk grows straight up. This tree challenges the prison fences. Its long branches reach out in the direction of the prison, reach inside the prison and over the roof of the corridor. Mango, such a juicy yellow fruit, nestled within the tree's wide leaves. When one experiences the sight of such a tree, joy takes hold. Joy from a tree overflowing with goodness. Joy from the abundance of its blessings. A tranquility emanates out of its essence. It is a symbol of the majesty of nature, a grand power that reaches through the depths of the prison. First, out of the darkness a bird arrives to choose the ripest fruit hidden between the leaves. Next, trapped in silence, the bird starts to eat. At once the weight of the eaten fruit shifts it loses equilibrium. The fruit is left dangling after a peck of a beak, and so it drops down onto the prison roof. It rolls over and falls again, this time onto the grimy dirt floor. Finally, a hungry prisoner follows the sound of the fall, follows it to the place the fruit lies, finds it amongst the piles of dirt and dried leaves. On rainy days, the island has a different colour and fragrance, when the rain pours down, there is no sign of mosquitoes. 
When it rains, one doesn't feel the heat that drenches bodies in sweat. The flowers that resemble chamomile, dancing incessantly, breathing heavily, gasping as though in love with the cool ocean breeze. I love those flowers. A zeal for resistance. A tremendous will for life bursting out from the coils and curves of the stems. Bodies stretching out to reveal themselves for all to witness. Every time the Manusian moon appears, it is adorned with another rare and differently coloured halo. These auras are a spectacular gift. It is the quietest place in Fox Prison, there by the flowers resembling chamomile. A place where I can be alone for hours, away from the breathing of other people, the smell of other people, away from the commotion, the ruckus, the tumult. Simply put, a prisoner doesn't have the capacity to feel sorry for the next inmate and incorporate that man's pain within his own. This is the reality of prison. The prisoner constructs his identity against the concept of freedom. His imagination is always preoccupied with the world beyond the fences and in his mind he forms a picture of a world where people are free. At every moment his life is shaped by the notion of freedom. It's a basic equation. A cage or freedom. You just heard the last of our excerpts from No Friend But The Mountains, Beiru's Bhutanese memoir about being exiled to Menace Island by the Australian Immigration Department. Beiru's and hundreds of other men are still on Menace after five years. There's also hundreds of families living on Nauru in similar conditions. Twelve refugees have died in offshore detention during these last five years. Australia made a deal with America in which the country would take 1,250 refugees from offshore detention. However, so far only 361 have been resettled. No Friend But The Mountains was translated by Omid Tohuklian and is published by Pan Macmillan. Under Australian laws, thinking asylum's now a crime Cause ain't no politician in this country got a spine Time of the time, each body towing the line Detain them I'm offshore, out of sight, out of mind Forget about humankind, we do this despite It breaks the Universal Declaration of Human Rights Man, what would Jesus do? Cause I'm pretty sure he wouldn't lock them up in the roof So heartless, even locking children in prison In the most appalling and inhumane and living conditions Even though in 1951 we ratified a refugee convention That prohibits asylum seekers being penalized in detention Imagine if your people got bombed at will Yo, imagine if your friends and family got tortured and killed Finally get a chance to escape and be free in the land You arrive and lock you up indefinitely See, this the only country where detention's been the tree, the legacy of a wide Australian policy, golden soul with a talk about inequality, with people on bridging visas living in poverty, denying asylum, political parties don't get who dies, sending back the boats, but that's how their ancestors arrive, those who come here are only trying to survive, we're destroying their futures and we're destroying their lives. Australia is the only first world country to detain indefinitely all those asylum seekers who arrive by boats, including, most controversially of all, children. I think most people when they look at what's happening understand there's some kind of problem uh, which the immigration department the government isn't, isn't addressing. The immigration centre on Christmas Island was labelled a factory for mental illness. We send an occupied land stolen by the white man straight to expand Manus Island. This is their new plan. We supported invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. Made this country wars as her victims your journey to this land. We're part of the problems and the troops at their home. Don't want to deal with situations we created and known. Our Government use it to capitalize in elections, appealing to ignorance, intolerance, and border protection. Now they're bringing in Orwellian laws, made it impossible for people seeking freedom to come to the shores. Politicians happy to utilize anything for votes around the world. It's not illegal to seek asylum by boats, scapegoats, focusing this fear and hate. For seeking safety, we condemn refugees to a brutal fate, forcibly displaced, cause of religion or race. Australians, let us hang our heads in disgrace. Join us for KiteLine, a weekly radio program on Channel Zero Network that focuses on issues in the prison system. 
With over 50 episodes already released, you can hear informative and riveting stories about the impact of prisons on people both inside and outside of the prison walls, and how they fight back. KiteLine is intended as means of communication between people across prison walls. Our goal at KiteLine is to amplify the voices of those within the prison system while encouraging dialogue with those on the outside. Hear us on the Channel Zero network and visit our website for more information or previous episodes at kitelineradio.noblogs.org. Check out Subversion 1312 online. Subversion1312.org. Facebook.com forward slash sub anarchy show. On Twitter, anarchy underscore show. And on the 4ZZZ website, 4ZZZ.org.au. that violence can be even even applied to the natural environment because we rely upon the natural environment for our survival. But inanimate objects, especially those that are man-made and are used to destroy life, I don't think you can be violent too. I think it's a lot of times more violent to allow them to exist. process which is known and very visible but perhaps not acknowledged as much as it should be it is that one where a new idea or an old one in new form is accepted by a minority while the majority are shouting treason rubbish kook communist capitalist or whatever is the term of abuse valued in that society and they develop this idea